Hello and welcome to the Words and Pictures podcast. I'm DJ Bowman-Smith and this is Words and Pictures podcast number 46. This week my guest is J.A. Boulay and she writes historical family sagas, so stick around for the interview section. So at my desk this week, well, I'm in a funny mood. Um, we're going away next week and probably by the time you hear this podcast um, I would have been away and come back. We're just going for a couple of days in Germany next week so I'm kind of getting ready for that and apart from the normal you know have I got enough socks and do I need a new pair of jeans kind of thing um you know is my deodorant about to run out that kind of stuff um you know obviously getting together a little bit of packing uh, and sort of thinking what's the weather like in Berlin um quite hot I think um so I've been doing all that kind of thing but but also it's quite strange how this little indie author business, because in effect all indie authors, you know, like myself, we kind of run a sort of a tiny little publishing house, really. And when you go away, you suddenly have to think of all the little things that need doing, you know, that you would normally do on a day-to-day basis as a matter of course. So I've kind of got a bit of a list of stuff that needs to, you know, be done. And obviously, you know, editing the podcast and getting them out. I'm usually about two months ahead. You know, that's kind of how I like to run so that if I kind of do a little block, I kind of get them get them out there in in one big, big load. And then occasionally I might do another little podcast, you know, even when I'm not on a podcast week, if you know what I mean. And if somebody pitches me, I I obviously get it done. Um, So obviously the the podcast is one of those things. But what I find is some... you know, I kind of have an earmark of jobs that I want to do in any given month, stuff that I want to achieve by the end of that month. And, you know, when you go away, obviously that kind of cuts the time down. And and although, you know, obviously I'm, I'm my own boss and I don't think anybody else cares apart from me about, you know, whether I've written anything or drawn any pictures or done anything. But even so, it kind of feels like, oh, gosh, you know, I'm going to be away from my desk. I must, you know, work a bit harder these couple of days coming up to this break in order to make sure that I you know achieve what I want to achieve but the other thing I find is the social media I know we all moan about the social media but you know it's here to stay and obviously without social media you know I would be sitting here literally talking to myself um, uh, and you know and writing books for myself because nobody would know that I existed and uh, and I think that's the same for all of us authors whether we're independently published or whether we're published by a, you know a publishing house so, you know, the, the the social media is one of those things. So, you know, I've kind of got a bit of a list here in my little red book, which is all things marketing, um, about some drafts that I need to make, you know, to go up on TikTok so that I can kind of keep my TikTok going while I'm away, you know, by, you know, obviously making some draft TikToks and some bits and pieces that I can I can use while I'm away, you know, with my husband. Because obviously I don't want to be fiddling about with that when, when I'm away. I want to obviously absorb berlin and and go to the sites and you know do whatever we're doing and not be you know not be worried about you know that i haven't been on social media or anything uh but on the other hand um you know i i do need to keep it going because it is you know part of my my indie author life so you know so that's that so i'm kind of uh obviously i'm going to work on this today i'm going to edit edit this podcast and write the show notes and, and load it up so that's another one going out into the future and uh, and then I will be making some social media posts later on in order to um, post them for when I'm in Berlin next week. So, yeah, happy days. I mean, I don't use one of those things. I mean, people 
people do use um, things for, you know, like you can you can use a platform and load your stuff up, you know, and they will put your tweets out or your your Instagram stuff out and things like that. But of course, that all costs money, and it's just another thing, you know, another thing draining on the purse strings really. So. I don't use one. I did years ago. I used a thing for Twitter for a while and it, and it is quite useful. But even so, you've still got to get in there and sort it out at some point. So, no, I don't use any of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, lots of people do. Um, you know, if you're using something, um, tell me what you use. You know, let's let's have a chat about that because it's, you know, it's interesting to hear what everybody does. Anyway, enough of me prattling along. Come and meet J.A. Bully. She's a very interesting character. So on the Words and Pictures podcast, my guest this week is J.A. Boulay. She writes historical family sagas. She's got four books out and a few other things going on besides in her writing life. So welcome to the podcast, J.A. How are you? I am doing fine. How are you? Yeah, very good. It's a little bit sunny here in England today. So we're all feeling a bit more cheerful (laughs) after a very rainy winter. And uh, we're very far apart. We've just had a quick chat before we came online and um, J.A. is in Canada and I'm in the UK. So it's great to, you know, reach across the continents and talk to each other. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Joined, joined, joined by the, you know, the common thing of writing. So, J.A., I always have a look at everybody's stuff before they come on. And uh, it seems to me, although you're writing the historical family sagas, which I'm going to have a little chat to you about in a minute. Um, but it looks like your first love was poetry. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, I I started writing poetry when I was very, very young. And I I guess I just it was just happenstance that it happened that I was in a Hungarian um a Hungarian mosaic, like they had these mosaics every year um for all the different community halls, right? So there would be Ukrainian, there'd be Hungarian, there'd be Russian, there would be all of them. And then they would get together um, for a week every year. And then they would just have these fabulous, like, dinners, everything. And, and then they would have these, um, these plays and, and dances. And I was part of one of those dances. Um, So they dressed me up in this cute little Hungarian outfit. And and I loved it. I, well, I obviously still remember it. And I think I was about five, maybe six at the time. And I, my first language was Hungarian. Once, once I started learning English, I started losing my Hungarian quite quickly. But um, so my mother put me in this thing and then they, they were like, well, you know, you're so cute. We're going to get you to write a poem in Hungarian. <laughs> And I'm like, well, uh, yeah, I don't even know how to write it. <laughs> so, so they helped me and I put together the poem and I stood on stage in my little red boots and my little dress and, um, and I read the poem. I don't even know what the poem was about. I have no idea. I can't remember. And, but I got a standing ovation. Right. Well, my six-year-old brain um, thought these people have gone crazy. <laughs> And I ran off the stage. I was completely frightened. <laughs> and I ran and I hid behind my mom's legs. And 
And everyone just started roaring, laughing. And of course, you know, I was, that was the start of my writing career. <laughs> yeah, but but it's a good, what a great way to start. I love that story. That's, that's, <laughs> really, and especially poetry. I mean, poetry's hard. It, it always seems to be a, a really special thing. I, I like to read it, but I don't think I could ever put anything together, you know, apart from, I don't know. Well, no, I really couldn't do it. So yeah, what a lovely thing. Do you think you might publish some of your poems? Do you think you'd go back to poetry eventually or? Are you still a bit of a poet? They say once a poet, always a poet. Do you think you'll still? Um, are you secretly? Well, yes. A poet? Yeah. Poet poetry was what I started with, and poetry was what I continued with until I think I was about seventeen when I started my first um, novel, which I didn't finish. Um, I have many unfinished works, just like any writer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but I do have, um, two poetry collections, um, and I have been looking through them and they, they are finished and I, but I was very young. I was in my twenties. Um, the first one was just romantic poetry and I don't know if I'll ever publish that one, but my second one is interesting. I actually might publish it this, this summer. Yeah. Good. Um, it was just a collection of, almost dark poetry i can't even remember what it's called something about the tunnels of darkness and um but it had a really good theme to it that might actually fit within all of this covid business that happened yeah, yeah. where at the end of the po the the tunnels that you go through and it's a collection actually of poetry uh, prose and short stories and at the uh, end, it's about getting through the darkness. Yeah. So it's interesting. I So I will, once I'm finished the fifth book that I'm working on, I'm going to take a look at it and, and edit it and see if I can get it out quick. Yeah, I think you're right. So you're working on the fifth book now. And the, so that I'm talking to, so that's the Ollison Chronicles. Yes, the fifth book of that. Will that be the last one? No, it's um the Olson Chronicles is done. That's all done. That um, was four books. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a that's four book series. Um this book I'm working on is 1956 Love and Revolution and uh it's about the Hungarian Revolution. It's about a group of friends um that are struggling through the Hungarian Re Revolution and become part of the insurgents. And um and then, of course, they flee to Canada, and well, they actually make a stop in uh, UK. <laughs> Good, <laughs> and uh, and um, it's um, it's a standalone book. I don't even know what got me writing it, other than my, it's sort of my parents' story. Yeah, um, but it's also the story of of every single Hungarian out there. Yeah, like almost every Hungarian, whether they live in Canada, the UK, um, Australia, anywhere in the world have been affected by this revolution. I was never there, obviously, because I'm too young, but my um, my parents were, and they they left in a big, huge hurry. Mm. And so I said the stories, the stories that they've told you, and you've you've kind of tapped into that. Well, that's interesting, actually, that you would say that. They they actually didn't want 
um, to say anything. Yeah, it's often the way, though, um, isn't it? When things are very near to people, you know, in the next generation, they don't they don't yeah. want to talk about their war experiences or other things like that. It's almost like, no, we've made a new start, we've yeah. drawn a line under it, and we want to we want to move on. So, but yet these yeah. stories need to be told. So I think it's quite good to bring it well, out. Well, I think it's partly that, but it's also because after the revolution, there was um, there was a gag order till about 1980-ish, 1980, some, sometime in the 80s. But when the Russians, um, well, the Soviets took took over, they, they basically put a gag uh, on anything to do with the revolution. Mm. The world didn't look very, d- didn't look very good on the, on the Russians after that, right? Mm. So they, they wanted nobody to talk about it. And and my father was um, wanted for treason because mm. he was a Hungarian soldier. So my parents were like, they didn't want to talk anything about it because they, they got their freedom. Mm-hmm. They're in Canada. They have a good life there. They don't want to, they don't want to be, you know, my, my father was granted asylum. They just wanted nothing to do with it at that point so there was a lot of um while i was growing up there was a lot of hush hush about it but on the other hand i lived through the aftermath if that makes any sense Mm. yeah and i think as a child you're far more aware than you realize it's only when you look back and you think how much you've absorbed, how many half-heard conversations, how many little bits of stuff have kind of come into your psyche, really. And so you, yeah, exactly. It's quite good to get that, get that, get it down on paper and get it, get it aired. Yeah, yeah. And other people so will there's... read it and go, I, I, you know, will understand what it is. I mean, we all write, you know, to be read, and I think it's important. You know, I think these stories really do need to be told. You know, they do, they yeah. really do, because you know, it, it, it doesn't just affect. The people that are involved at the time, it affects their children and their grandchildren, mm. right? Like I wouldn't even be Canadian, yeah, if that didn't happen, right? Yeah, yeah. But it is. It's fascinating stuff. Ah, so well, good for you. I, I'm liking that. I like the the whole thing of it. The way you, you know, tapping into all that family history. So, um, so you're writing historical family family sagas. Do they go through um, generations? Your 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 books do they go through lots of generations of people the series do yeah Yeah. the uh the olison chronicles goes through um four generations yeah and how do you manage that as an author are you like me do you keep loads of loads of spreadsheets and documents on everybody to keep it all together because it's a lot to hold in your head when you've got you know, because I write dark fantasy saga, you know, well, not saga, but epic fantasy that has, you know, goes through hundreds of years of stuff happening and wars and things. And you've got to really keep a tap on it, haven't you? Otherwise you make a mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have a character list for every yeah. book that I write, whether it's in a family saga or just a standalone, because, yeah, there's no way I can remember that with with my work and my kids and my yeah. uh, property and everything else there's no 
way I can remember all those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think I think it's I think you've got half all the little details, you know, what kind of eyes they had, whether they drank coffee or tea or yeah. you know, all these different things, whether they're tall, they were short, the thing, what they were they were the gay, yeah, they were straight. Yeah, I, you know, exactly. And I, yeah, and I yeah. just have a little thing and I just bang it all down. Otherwise, you trouble is the trouble is if you want to touch back onto that character, you come back, I don't know, and women's lives are busy. You know, by the time we've come back in and fed the dog and looked after the kids and <laughs> seen to grandma and hung the washing up, sometimes you come back in and you think, right, what was I saying? You know, and you have to have something to just keep it all together. Yeah, I think it's a it's good to get organized, I think. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always have my little notes beside each character, blonde hair, dark hair, yeah. um, what year they were born. I find the the dates are specific, very um very hard for me to keep track of yeah. because of all the events yeah. that are happening at that time right yeah yeah i think i think that's very important to get it right and i think i was talking to a, a lady who writes some um, historical fiction the other day and she was saying that you know if you get it wrong you know your readers will be down on you if you if you get some facts wrong they'll they'll know you know because i think historical historical fiction readers I'll keen on the detail, I think. Yeah, it's up to us to get it right. So well done, you. So I'm just having a little look at this. Some, I, just a little thing that just popped into my head, J.A., as we're talking about Canada. I've heard that book prices are really expensive in Canada and, and Canadians have a real, really hard time get, um, being able to buy, um, you know, um, you know, evenly priced books. Is, is, is that a thing? And I know when I've looked at the, you know the difference in prices for you know across different platforms the canadian books always seem so expensive is it hard as a reader to find good books well i think price? it's um a, a lot of things are expensive in canada now <laughs> but uh, but i think it's uh i think it is still relative to wages and what people make yeah um I don't know because I've only ever been Canadian. I I do know that like in the United States, my books are oh gosh, <laughs> I think they're eleven ninety nine, and then in Canada they're fifteen ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but the hardcovers are ridiculously expensive. Yeah, they're hard. They they are expensive to do. Like they're thirty some odd dollars each. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So I think a lot of people, if they can't afford the paperback, they they just end up getting the ebook. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the good thing about ebooks; they're instant, they're cheaper, and you know if you if you read a lot. I've noticed, um, Jay, that you're you're a wide author. You're published across many platforms as, as an independent author. And um, t- tell me a little bit about that because I've noticed you're also a publishing mentor. How does the wide thing work for you? I could never get it to work for me. How, how do you how do you make that work? I I I mostly pull my hair out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that honesty. Good for you. <laughs> exactly. I pull my um, hair out, and, and I'm and just uh, on Amazon. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mostly just accept that there is so much I can't control, mm-hmm. um, and there is so much that um, you you just have to let go of and and accept that the universe is going to take care of it, right? I, I never wanted to sign um, with Amazon for any um, exclusive rights. Mm-hmm. 
because I wanted I wanted to make sure that I get to the little stores. I wanted to make sure that I get that 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 my book would get to the the countries that Amazon doesn't serve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so most of that is from Ingram's Bark. And they've just changed what their I terms, say, haven't they? Now, yeah, they just, did. And yeah. would I say that I'm very pleased with them? No, not really. But but I am pleased with the with the coverage I get from them. Yeah. I I did end up going with Smashwords as well. Mm-hmm. Um and and is Smashwords like an aggregator, draft to digital? I believe so. Yeah. 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 So and and then I also went with um Kobo books. Yeah. But see see Kobo books and Smashwords was were were simply this was not something that I had intended to do. I just kind of fell into it because of, well, people like you, I would, I would meet people and they would say, you know, I want to buy your book or, or how come you're not on this platform or that platform? So then I just ended up going on there. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And, and, um, Smashwords actually has been pretty good. Yeah. I've, I've been, I've been quite impressed with Smashwords. They, um, actually one of the very first, um, sites that started selling ebooks and and then they so basically they just they they branched out and so when you go on smashwords you can buy any book from actually any site so you can buy it from amazon and they have all the links in there yeah 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 i think i think draft digital is a bit like that similar sort of thing you know and you can get a universal link and it'll kind of link up and Put, put you onto everything yeah it's quite good i i don't anymore i'm just on amazon at the moment i might go wide a bit more um you know uh, in the fullness of time but to be honest i just found it very hard to uh keep keep track of all the different platforms because i was on sort of everything and then i thought i actually can't cope with this and i've kind of gone back to the amazon model you know because i find i can the trouble with the some of it i've found you you're on there but it's very hard to uh promote yourself within some of these channels if you see what I mean and so so I just feel like my book just sits there and does nothing yeah so perhaps that's not the same experience you've had anyway it's always a nightmare (laughs) and it's an ever-ending debate isn't it wide or exclusive to Amazon you know I don't think there's an answer I think you just have to keep juggling it until you find what what works um the other thing i've noticed is that you're on audio for everything that's really good well done you that's something else that's been on my list forever that i never get around to um did you narrate your stuff yourself did you use a company i did narrate it myself but i do have a um a distributor similar to um engram spark but it's solely for audiobooks there's a audiobook distributor called Authors Republic, mm-hmm. and they are very good. I, I have to say that that was that was a really good decision of mine, um, because they they're like almost um, like a collective, right? So they they get all of these audiobooks and the authors, and then they can because they have everybody together they have more influence Mm -hmm. right so they have more influence against big 
big places like Audible, mm. like like Spotify, right? Mm-hmm. So they will push your book on there better than you could yourself. And same with terms, right? Um, because you're um, you're an independent author, um, they will be able to. You won't be. I don't know how to put it, but you won't become. Um, if they change terms for individual authors, you 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 won't have to fall under that umbrella because you're part of this co-op, mm. right? So I I thought that was that was a really definite plus mm. for for any uh, independent author, and and yes, I did narrate it myself. Now saying that. It is not a an easy undertaking. <laughs> yeah, I, I've done one of my um, children's books, and I, I haven't put it out there yet. I, I think I need to do it again. I need. I know I'm, I've got the equipment, you know, like yourself, and I can see your room, like mine, is damped down with rugs and blankets and things, you know. <laughs> so we've got this nice, quiet, quiet sound, you know. Uh, it, it is really tricky. It's harder than you think reading aloud and being mm-hmm. clear. It's it's even stuff that you've written yourself. It's it's bizarrely tricky, you know. Especially I found giving giving characters their voice, you know, so that they didn't all just sound like me tra- prattling on. I don't know whether if I was going to get some of my adult stuff done, I think I'd have to get a narrator. I think really, yeah. Well, I took um I took voice acting classes. At, at first, I was thinking the same thing that I would hire somebody, but you know that is so expensive. Mm, fortune, and so I thought voice acting classes—it's cheaper. <laughs> and what I was finding with a lot of my readers is they—they they loved my voice. Mm. Yeah, it's a good voice. Like, it's a good I, voice. Yeah. yeah, they were like, "I love your voice. I want to hear your voice." So I. I thought, well, I can do this. And I I usually spend the summers doing it. If I have enough time this year, I might do book three. It is rewarding. I really like it in the way that it is. I think every um, writer is a literary artist, hmm. right? And we're all artists in much more ways than we're given um, given credit for. So I also play piano and I also uh, like like mixing videos and photography and everything. So I uh I apply that to my audiobooks. I do book trailers and I do the voice acting and you should check out some of my book trailers. Well, I yeah. loved yeah. doing them. Yeah. I really did. And wow. and people are surprised that it's all my voice. Mm. Because like you, I will use uh filters and and uh tone and uh, pitch and and I will change it for male male voices mm. and uh, and then I'll also add my, my own piano in and I will make my own um, sound effects too it's actually a lot easier than people think if you need birds you just go out in the backyard and record the birds <laughs> yeah yeah brilliant <laughs> right yeah and, and I think uh, I think we're a lot of independent authors like you and I, I I think half the joy of it or a big part of it is just learning all this new stuff all the time and there's always something new on the horizon you know like you said this audio thing's become quite a thing now you know everybody's thinking about getting into the audio it's going to be you know it and I, and I and it is fascinating to 
you know, like me doing the podcast stuff, it's fascinating to do it. It's fascinating to learn, you know, this this new skill. Yeah, brilliant. And I bet the I bet the acting class was great fun. <laughs> Perhaps I should do that. Yes, yeah. it was. It was yeah. actually uh, in Calgary when I was in uh, when I lived in Alberta, and uh, it was part of the the writers community that I was with, um, a writers school, mm-hmm. and that it, it was huge. And that's that's where I found the voice actor. Mm. Yeah, good. It's it's good fun, and, and I. Yeah, I mean, I've found uh, since I've been doing the podcast, I felt, well, first of all, I went on to TikTok and I started doing the TikTok thing. And then I thought, you know, because that was kind of like a leap of, you know, suddenly you're in front of the camera and you're talking and you're thinking, you know, what do I sound, what do I sound like? And, you you know, it's fine. And then then I thought, well, I'll have a go at this podcast stuff because I kind of had it in my back of my mind that I'd quite like to do this for quite a few years. And once you get over the initial bad that's what my voice sounds like it's actually and, and I, I notice now that when I'm you know after the recording when I'm doing the editing and things I it, I don't really think of it as being my voice it's just that voice you know it's just a voice I don't think oh you know anymore whereas to start, start with I think you sound to yourself you sound very strange don't you you know when you first hear your voice recorded very odd well sometimes yeah like sometimes I will uh like I'll get um I'll get compliments on my voice and they'll say, well, you have this very sultry uh, voice. And I'd be like, what, me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because everybody hears it, hears it us different, don't they? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Good fun. Yes, well, we can do anything, we indie authors. Um, what about your book covers? I always ask people about their book covers, J.A. Do you do you, do, do you do those yourself? Do you employ an artist? How, how no, do they come into no, the world? No, I don't do those myself. I uh, I have a cover designer. Yeah, I I do work with the cover designer quite a quite a lot. Like I will, um, like for instance, one of the books she couldn't get a picture of the um, the MK two uh, rifle mm-hmm. on uh, book two, the the strong within us, and I needed that picture because that that rifle was very important to the story. And uh, so I searched and searched, couldn't find it. Finally, I found it in a museum and I contacted the museum curator and uh, I told him, look, you know, I'm, I've written all about this rifle and I need, need it on my cover, but apparently there's none hardly left in the world mm. because it's from, well, it's from 1910. And um so he allowed me in the museum. Brilliant. And uh, and while it was closed, and I was I went in a, with a special pass, and I got to take all these pictures of this wonderful old gun, and it and she she took the pictures that she needed and did her magic and got it on the cover. Yeah, brilliant. That's really clever. I like that story. That's good. I like that. Yeah, really. I mean, I think a lot of covers, like my own covers, are you know manipulated images, which which I do in Photoshop. And half the job is actually finding the images in order to use them and manipulate them. You know, the manipulating is the easy bit, actually, the fun bit. But actually finding what you want, finding a face or an object that you need is is actually really tricky. Yeah. And uh, yeah, great. So I like that. So you, you managed to manage to find find the gun in a museum. That's a good story. This is why I do the podcast. 
It really is. Because people just tell me these bizarre things. And I think, I love that. That just is what it Actually, is. Yeah. That that's one of the joys of 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 writing is there's just so many other things. Like that's why I had commented that we're we're truly artists, yeah. right? Yeah. And there's just so many other things that we have to do and we have to find out and and like, I think almost every one of my books, I had to search for some kind of photograph. In book three, I had to find that the wars between us, um, I had to find a photograph of an old Corvette boat from yeah. um, that was used in the Battle of the Atlantic in World War II. And again, there was only one in Canada, and it was in Halifax. And I couldn't go there because of the lockdowns, but I ended up contacting the because it's it's a museum now, um, so it's a floating museum, and uh, and they uh, we had uh, a Zoom meeting and and multiple multiple meetings over the phone and and back and forth, and we found the picture because mm. there was obviously a photographer that worked for the museum as well. And uh, yeah, so it all worked out. Yeah, amazing. Re- really, really fascinating. And I think it's good that you don't give up. You don't go, oh well, we'll just do something else, or we'll draw it, or whatever. You know, you you've you know you've got to find find the exact right thing. Yeah, well, it's all about the details, isn't it? I mean, do you find with you writing historical fiction that you have to do a lot of research in order to, you know, get your facts right? Do you, do you, do you go yes. down? Do you do lots of going back and? Going to new museums and looking up archives and stuff. Well, well, I'm a I'm a history nerd. If I if I ever have the um, the time in my life to go back to university, I would take a history degree because mm. I just love it. I and it's to me, it's not even work. Mm. But yes, I will. I will uh, actually study the uh, the content that I'm going to write about for anywhere from two weeks to a month before even putting a pen to a paper mm. yeah just to make sure that you've got got the whole the whole thing it sounds like another load of files that you've got with the characters and the historical content <laughs> yeah i will also interview people as well um and again that's just one of the things i just love about writing i i really do um in book three, The Wars Between Us, I interviewed a 98-year-old man that actually served on one of the Corvette boats amazing. as a 17-year-old. Amazing. Yeah. And it was such an amazing conversation. We we just had it over the phone, but it was so amazing. And he, he ended up mailing me some photographs and stuff. And and I felt like I had a duty mm, captured something to yeah to put what he told me into words in a book mm. that could forever be there right because we're losing these veterans yeah yeah and, and exactly and, and i've noticed every year you know when you look at the you know on poppy day and the veterans come out there there's fewer and fewer of them now that we're in the in the big wars and it, it, it's really important to get everybody's stories and get it down you know and and i think sometimes when they get to a certain age they suddenly 
well, not suddenly, suddenly is not a good word, but but given the right prompt and the right person, they will begin to tell those stories so that, you know, it can be left for people to understand exactly what happened. And there's nothing better than firsthand, you know, yes, oral, yeah. oral telling. And, and- and that's why it's so important to get your dates right, right? Even though it is historical fiction, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen in 100 years from now. People are going to be reading that book, right? Yeah. Try to get those facts as, as right as possible. At the end of every one of my books, I do put a, a final note to reader, which separates uh, fiction from fact. Yeah. So then I, then p- the reader um, can know that there were actual historical fiction uh, characters, that what ev- what events were real, what events were uh, skewed to fit into my story, right? Mm. And, yeah. and that's always going to happen. That's always going to happen. And and like you said before, there there's going to be fictional. There's going to be historians that are going to read it, and they're going to get mad. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's, <laughs> right? it's, it always happens. Always. Yeah. But but so that is why I separate that at the end right because then you can't be mad at me right like as authors we have to skew some certain things yeah because in in the end you need the story to flow and have its story beat um jay we're nearly out of time so i'm just going to quickly ask you where where can people find you online but i'll put the links in the show notes like i always do but what's your what's your website link um my website link is very simple it's just ja boulet b-o-u-l-e-t dot c-a brilliant and you can you can access all of my uh book trailer videos and everything through my website as well and i'm on amazon and pretty much everywhere you want to buy a book (laughs) yeah well which is great it's great to to meet a really really when i looked at your stuff i thought she's not just white she's really white that's like that's (laughs) like that's like everything so yeah brilliant well done it's jaya it's been brilliant to talk to you what a great story yeah really 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 nice thank you so much for coming on the words and pictures podcast thank you so much for having me Ah, so interesting stuff, talking to J.A. there about all her writing. Um, it never It's never boring. It's always fascinating to talk to everybody writing all their different things. Um, historical fiction is never something that I've really um, thought I might write. Um, I, I kind of feel like there might be a thriller in me, <laughs> to be for sure. Uh, a bit of a murder mystery, perhaps, but but I don't, I don't think I could ever... I think I couldn't be bothered with the research. I think that's the problem. A bit too lazy, I think. Anyway, lovely to speak to her. Okay, so next week, my guest is Lorraine Mace. Now, I was fascinated to get Lorraine on because um, we both used to write for um, Writing Magazine, and I think we still both probably do a bit of freelance for them now. And uh, so it was interesting to have a little chat about that. And, um, you know, and also Lorraine, like myself, she writes for children as well as, you know, writing for adults. And we were both sort of lamenting the fact that... um, you know, the children's author side of ourselves, you know, usually gets left, you know, lying by the wayside because really there's just not enough hours in the day to run run two lots of stuff, you know, and that's the, the honest truth of it. Anyway, um, I think we all could probably do with some staff. <laughs> I live in hope. Anyway, thanks for listening to the Words and Pictures podcast. You can find um, anything that we've mentioned in the show, you will find it in the show notes. If you don't find the show notes 
wherever you pick the podcast up. Um, you will find them on my website. My website is www.djbowmansmith.com, funnily enough. And you can find me as a children's author as tigermolly.com. So um, it's been great as usual and um, see you next Monday. Until next time. Bye bye.